Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Big Money CJ, we are on the eve of a Game 7. Another Game 7 in these amazing Stanley Cup playoffs. The Rangers and the Carolina Hurricanes. How and where will you be watching Game 7? I will be right here in my living room. Um, Got the nice TV setup going and just going to enjoy it, man. I mean, we got so many Game 7s in Round 1. Good to get another one here. Uh, There's still... Oh, always a little pop to it. Just the, the feeling of the unexpected, knowing what the consequences are, knowing how someone will be a hero and perhaps someone will make a mistake that we'll remember. Um, you know, it's hard to hard to compete with sort of the drama of that. And this has been a little bit of a forgotten series, especially for our pod. Uh, but I think kind of league wide, too, in some ways. But now all the focus is on this because everybody else is sitting waiting to see what happens. What I find kind of funny about the fact that it's kind of become a forgotten series. Carolina, I I guess we, you know, people look at the media market there as one thing, but the New York Rangers, like you don't get any bigger in the States than the New York media market. And they still have been kind of punted off to the side. That's what I think has just been surprising and how we've kind of left it off compared to the other three series of the second round. Well, I mean, look, you and I are Canadian. And so we view this through Canadian hockey lens and it first and foremost. So the Battle of Alberta soaks up tons of attention. Then if you want to look at what, what do we call it? The Battle of Florida, whatever the, the, the Tampa and Florida played a hell of a playoff series last year. So that one had some buzz going in. I know it didn't end up delivering with the drama you'd hope for, but you know, it had a little more sales pop. Colorado St. Louis ended up, you know, for some of the wrong reasons, some of the right reasons, but there was a lot of controversy. There's a lot of discussion points, huge game from Nazem Kadri in that series, dramatic uh, lead changes and, and, the, and the like. So that, that, you know, soaked up the attention. So I, I can see how it's fallen to fourth year. You know, I noticed in the U S though, I mean, that's an ESPN series. Uh, and, and so it, it might not be the same experience for our American listeners or those viewing down there that this ended up kind of being the fourth of four, but I, I do feel like that that's the way it was treated. You know, I, I don't believe sports that even had their own broadcast for, for the game. Certainly they didn't on Saturday night. And so it just doesn't, have quite the same vibe around it. But at the end of the day, you know, we're down to five teams remaining with a chance to win the Stanley Cup. I think that that gets removed a lot of eyeballs on it tonight. And then we move into the conference finals. And it's not as if the games in that series have been bad. There have been a lot of close games. We've seen tension on both sides with 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 Gerard Gallant getting into it with, with, with some of the guys on the other team. And it, it, we've seen drama in the series. It just hasn't compared with the rest of, of the series we've seen which is still really mind-boggling, but also a testament to how good these playoffs have been overall with everything we've seen. Yeah, and like the whole home road thing is is weird. Like I'm not even sure what we can extrapolate from it, but that's been an element of the series, right? So Carolina's up to nothing. Maybe it looks like it's not going to be a close series. The Rangers draw back. I mean, it's it, it has been uh, a little funny that way. And you just wonder going into game seven, like the goaltending thing to me is is huge. You just with Ranta getting pulled from game six, mm-hmm. looking shaky on two of those goals. You might argue three of them, but two of them for sure. And, you know, with Shesterkin making, I think, 37 saves in game six, you know, it just feels like 
that the whole home road thing could go out the window just with, with the guys occupying the spot in the crease. And, you know, I, I think that adds a certain amount of unpredictability now as we sort of cast our eyes forward. And yeah, I'm not saying the series has been bad. It's just, it, I think it's been overshadowed is probably the best way to put it uh, in the places that, that we watch the games. By the way, uh, David Satriano put out this tweet. Uh, the Hurricanes are the first team in NHL history to lose their first six road games in a single postseason. And they're still alive as we record. Well, that makes sense, right? It means that you have to win all of your home games or else that's that doesn't work. Um, what's up wild is that they could reach the Stanley Cup final and not have to win a road game. You know, they're going to have home ice advantage should they move on and face Tampa. So, you know, that, I'm sure that's what they're leaning on, you know, behind the scenes whenever this is brought up, or I'm sure the players have seen a couple of quotes, it, it appears that they're sort of bristling at it. Cause again, it's not really, you don't want to have that mindset as an athlete. Cause you have to go play games on the road. You have to believe you're going to win those games. So you don't really want to feed into this too much, but the beauty of it all is game seven's at home and game one and two in the conference final will be at home. Should they find a way to, to eliminate the Rangers? Absolutely. Uh, I'll, I'll mention this. Like you mentioned how the first two games, it kind of looked like Carolina was just going to take it. I can't help but think of game one and how that went, where I'll extend it to this greater thought too. There's some parallels in this series with what the Rangers are experiencing to sort of what they experienced in the first round with Pittsburgh and the fact that they had a chance to win both game ones very close to doing so, and then victory snatched away from them by the opposition, and then it kind of goes their way. And then it ends up going back to a game seven. And while anti Ranta, I know he got pulled in game six. We know Freddie Anderson has tried to get himself back into it. I mean, I don't think they'll go to Freddie Anderson, but there's a weird goaltending situation with the opposing team that the Rangers also had to kind of worry about in the first round as well. It's kind of interesting how both those series have some similarities. Well, it presents opportunity for them, right? And they're, they're not facing the best guy at the other end, just, just the way it goes. I mean, that's that's playoffs. There's injuries are a factor every year in every series to some degree. Um, you know, but I do think that that's, that's probably benefited them. But also give the Rangers credit. They had to rally against the Penguins. They had to fight off the, the, a night where they could have been eliminated again on Saturday against Carolina. And they've they've proven to to not go down easily and, and to, to be a tough out. And so... Yeah, they're, they're, it's funny, that the parallels. I don't think many of us probably would have had the Rangers get into the conference final, but I got to say, I, I actually like their odds in this circumstance. I just think Shesterkin's gotten more comfortable in this, this environment. We've seen him deliver some big performances. And obviously, the Rangers have game breakers on their own end because of Benajad scoring every game. Panarin's someone that, that the team has to be worried about every time they're out there. I mean, it's, this is a, a team worthy of, of where they've got to, and and – you know, at the end of the day, it's as hard as it is to play at PNC Arena, as good as the Hurricanes have been there, you just need a goalie to go in there and steal a win. And, and you know, it just reminds me of Vasilevsky. I don't know if it's just because they're both Russian. They're obviously two of the best goaltenders in the entire league and world. Um, you know, Shosturkin might have been the best goalie in the regular season anyway, and, and you know, expect him to win the Vesna Trophy. So, um, you know, I just think that, it's setting up perfect for him to go there and steal a win or, or, you know, help the Rangers steal a win. You know, kind of what we saw Vasilevsky came up to Toronto for a game seven tough building and, you know, made it difficult on the Leafs and Tampa got ahead in that game and never gave up a lead. I, you know, I think that's, that's kind of a pattern for New York. If, if you were looking for what could bring them success is just getting ahead, even if it's only one, nothing and then having the, the goaltender shut the door and, 
Bam, they would be a pretty surprising conference finalists again for some of us. So that's that's probably not fair. I mean, look at the number of points they had in the regular season. It's not as though not as though they fluked their way here, but I just think maybe we, we've been sleeping on them for too long. And all of a sudden we wake up and you go, wow, they could be in the final four by tomorrow morning. By the way, Igor Shesterkin, uh, the Rangers put this up on their Twitter. The first goalie in NHL history to have two assists in a playoff game in which their team faced elimination. How do you find those stats? It's, Shout out to Scott Guy or the guy who works for their PR staff or, or girl, like you know, whoever whoever's out there whoever it is. picking that up. Like that, that's that's a deep cut. That's a really good deep cut. Also, I'll shout out my colleague uh, Arthur Staple, who wrote about uh, Mika Zibanejad uh, for uh, for on Monday, and he was trying to make the point that the game seven he could be playing. We, we, we've always kind of regarded him as a good player. There's an opportunity for him to become truly an elite player, an elite center, a true number one center uh, with the New York Rangers and just to, around the league. I, I don't know if you, if you feel this way about Mika, but it seems as if he's a bit underrated in, in terms of how we view him compared to other NHL players. He's able to score in big moments. He's able to score at, at, at pretty good clips throughout the years he's been in this league. He did well in Ottawa, goes to New York, obviously does well. I'm curious how you rate Mika Zibanejad. Well, look at his last three seasons. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but to me, he already is elite. You know, if you just look at straight point production, the minutes he plays, the matchups he faces, how he's produced against the other players we put in that category, you're right. And maybe because it took a little while, relatively speaking, you know, he was a, I think, sixth overall pick by Ottawa, but, you know, he's top 10 pick and didn't come in and light the league on fire right away. But, man, he's made, first of all, the trade the Senators made, uh, sending him out of town, plus a draft pick. Um, you know, at the time for Derek Broussard, you know, that, that's that's a really difficult trade for the Senators end of things uh, with how how well Mika's career has blossomed since and no reason I could see this, that it's going to slow down any. Uh, but I think he's already there. Uh, with respect to, I didn't read Arthur's article, uh, you know, moments like this is probably, the, the point would be, you know, a game seven, everybody's paying attention. I mean, it's a busy league. There's a lot of games on any given night. Not everyone's watching every team, you know, throughout the regular season. And so maybe for some that his production and the way he's he's become, you know, a real offensive force in the league has been missed a little bit. But, you know, you can put a statement on it tonight. I mean, I think it's four straight games with a goal. You know, if he's one of the ones scoring a big one, I think, you know, I'm sure in some eyes he'll go up. But for me, win or lose tonight, I, th- I think he's already in the, the, the high. I think he's, for, put it this way, he's definitely a number one center in my eyes. I think on... Obviously, there's there's a few better than him around the league, but on a good half of the, the the teams in the league, he's probably an upgrade on their number one center. I think he's that good. Are you up for a pop quiz? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, you mentioned the 2011 draft. Uh, he was, in fact, sixth overall because of Benajad. Do you know who the leading point getter from that draft class is? So my brain's weird. 2011. Yes. 2012 was Pittsburgh. 2011 was New Jersey? No, it was 2013. Are you thinking location or are you thinking who had the number one overall pick? I'm thinking location. It will help me okay. center my brain. So can you tell me where that draft was? 2010 was LA. I could figure that out. 2010. Okay. So let me let me figure out where the 2011 NHL draft was because I don't remember offhand. Because uh, unlike you, I don't, I don't, I don't get to go to these drafts. Uh Minnesota. Minnesota in 2011. Okay. So that was a weird draft. That was that was where they traded uh, 
Mike Richards and Jeff Carter, the Flyers, to kick off that draft weekend. It was kind of a fireworky, fireworky yeah. draft weekend. Um, hmm. I hate to admit it. I can't remember who the number one overall pick was in that draft off the top of my head. Like, I remember that still, was worth- the number one overall pick from that draft is still playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs right now. That is so bad. This is and why you know pop, what? pop quizzes aren't good for my rep, man. This is making me look bad. That I, What else I remember from that draft is that was where the Winnipeg Jets were reborn and Mark Shifley was their first ever pick, I think, at seven. Yes, yes he was. Um, so because I can't remember off the top of my head who is picked ahead of him, I'm going to say that Mark Shifley is a leading point getter in that draft. Okay. So Mark Shifley is not the leading point getter right. in that draft. However, he is fourth in that draft. There's a reason why you probably are, are kind of stumped with the number one overall pick. He's had a pretty good career, but there are a ton of players in this draft. A lot of them still in the playoffs right now who have had better, had pretty good, or a little bit more flashy. Ryan Nugent Hopkins was the number one overall pick in that draft. Ah, yes. That, that's like and from the, that Edmonton Vortex where they just were picking first overall every year and it got confusing. And the number one point getter from the draft class right now, 616 points, 246 goals, 58th overall, wasn't even a first-round pick, Tampa Bay forward Nikita Kucherov. Wow. I know. What what a pick that was. I know. Uh, This draft class is insane. Kucherov, Jonathan Huberdo is there, Johnny Goudreau. We're going to talk a lot about him this summer, I'm sure. Shifley, Landeskog, Nugent Hopkins, Zabinijad, Couturier, uh, JT Miller, Andre Palat, Brandon Saad, Vincent Trocek. We were talking about Priuses earlier this year. The Prius is here. Uh, Dougie Hamilton, Ryan Strom, Ricard Raquel, uh, Wild Bill, William Carlson is there, Boone Jenner, J.G. Pajot, Deneau, Philip Deneau's in this trap, Andrew Shaw, Vlad Nemesnikov, like Blake Coleman. There Deneau, are some... Man. Just jog my memory. This is So this is sort of a factoid, but it's pretty crazy. So... Yes. You mentioned Kucherov and Palat. Palat was a seventh rounder. Kucherov was a second rounder by Tampa. So they draft those guys, you know, on the same day. And then they signed Tyler Johnson within two months, either before or after that draft. I remember it was like 60 days. And that ends up being their top line in the 2015 Stanley Cup final. Like they, they, they basically acquired those guys, not with like a first overall pick. And in a two-month window, they acquired their top line that took them to a Stanley Cup final. And then obviously Palat and Kucherov, you know, to this day remain key, key members of their team that could win a third straight Stanley cup. I mean, just that's, you can't replicate that. Like every team is dreaming of that kind of run. Like I, I, I obviously there's some luck involved. If they knew Andre Plot was going to be Andre Plot, they're not waiting to the seventh round to pick up, but um, that's, that's one way you, you get a team to the top. Like, yeah, you get Stamkos and Hedman with the first and second pick, but then they, they've done so well down the draft. Let me just throw it back to the Rangers for one last thing. In 2018, yeah. I believe. That's when Jeff Gordon sent out that letter saying that, you know, they were going to be in for a rebuild and all that. How awesome is it? Maybe not awesome. I'll say this. I think for Rangers fans, it's awesome. But to see them go from a point where they were obviously looking to probably go through some pain for the next little while to be on the verge of a conference final, even in spite of a lot of people having questions about some of the moves they did in the offseason, like the Sammy Blay, Pavel Buchnevich trade, like, it's kind of wild to see them in the position that they're in right now on the verge of being one series away from a Stanley cup in spite of everything that has happened from 2018 to now. Like, I think it's pretty surprising. It's pretty much best case scenario, right? 
like they had a chance with those teams in the middle of the decade every year it felt like they were one of the teams that could win a Stanley cup. You know, you go back, obviously they got to the cup final in 2014, but even 2015, they got to game seven of the Eastern conference final. You know, they were in the second round. It felt like at minimum every year, like they, they had really good teams that didn't quite get over the the, the line, but then first of all, you, you retire a legend in, in Henrik Lundqvist and to get Shesterkin almost immediately after, I mean, that's, that's, that's a huge key, you know, but they also signed Panarin, for example, as a free agent, you know, made that great Zabinajad trade. Like they, they've, they've really done a tidy job of, of transitioning from one team that, that had greatness in mind and another one that appears like it's, it's headed down that road because they've also got prospects coming, you know, Alexi Lafreniere still isn't, of course, he's, he's still just really in the new stage of his career. I think he'll become more impactful in, in the next few years. Like it won't, won't be surprising to me if he pops a little bit more offensively uh, than you've seen so far. I don't think we can sort of overlook the conditions in which he entered the NHL in a COVID year and all this stuff, like, like give him some time, I think, and some patience. Anyway, I mean, that, that organization is really set up to, like this is the start of something, I think, rather than the end of it. And, and they didn't really go through that much pain. Um, so uh, probably easy for me to say. I'm sure fans feel like, you know, one or two lost seasons feel really difficult to watch at the time, but I think it's going to be well worth it with, with the trajectory they're on now. And what about the pressure for the Carolina Hurricanes? They've been trying to build good rosters for the last little while uh, with the players that they have in tow. Look at guys like Teravine and obviously Sebastian Ajo. I know they don't have their true number one in net, but Antti Ranta has at least done his best to hold up. But this is a team that I, I imagine they're trying to compete every year. Don Waddell has done everything he can to bolster the roster. He didn't go too crazy at the deadline, but he was able to get Max Domi. Like I, I have to imagine for a game seven like this, the pressure should be on a team like the Carolina hurricanes to get it done. For sure. Because, you know, they're not just happy to be there anymore. Right. I mean, they, they had kind of a, a surprising run a few years ago, got, it was a conference final against Boston, right? Uh, was yeah, a couple years final? ago. But I'm just saying like, that felt like it was kind of out of the blue a little bit. The team was just getting its feet under it. You know, now they've been at it. Uh, a few years now where they've been a top team. I think their front office has done a great job. Eric Tulski, um, you know, has a big say in, in everything they do with, you know, from the, the numbers end of things um, and looking at underlying trends. I mean, they, they just, they, they don't ever really seem to lose a trade. They, they make difficult decisions. For example, they let Dougie Hamilton walk in free agency. Um, 2011 draft. You know, there you go. And so, they, they, I think they've been a smart front office. I think they built a good team, doesn't, or even good to great team, um, but it doesn't guarantee anything in a one game scenario. And that's why there is pressure on a night like this. Um, you know, from, from the top end of the organization, they're feeling it. I'm sure the players to some degree are feeling it. There will be comfort playing at home. I mean, that, that is a tough rank to play in as a visitor. That, that, that's a sort of an underrated fan base in my mind. Like, I think. I love how they embrace the bunch of jerks thing from back in the day and, and, you know, kind of just the, the storm surge and everything else. Like I, I think that it's really become a fun place to go to a game and, and can be a hard place to play in. But yeah, there's, there's a fair bit riding on this. And, and like every team, you know, they got some guys, Teravine and, you know, free agent, like there, there's decisions that are going to come again. They'll probably lose a little bit of the core, um, you know, but there's also an opportunity to add, you know, I don't think they're going away by any means, but, They've got a chance. The flip side of this, of course, is that they played Tampa pretty well last year in the playoffs. They're going to have home ice if they win this series. Like, they've got a chance to go to the cup final. Well, Tampa's still without Braden Point and all these things. 
you know, Hagel hasn't practiced a lot. Sergachev appears to be banged up. I mean, but the Lightning, even with this extra time off, it's going to be a, a challenge for them to get to another final just because, you know, you wonder how much gas is left fully in the tank uh, for, for that organization. So, yeah, this is what a huge moment. And, and this, again, is what sets the stage for a great Game 7. Game 7, Rangers, Hurricanes. Can't wait to watch that. Also can't wait to talk about that with uh, David Bastel, as uh, we normally do on our shows uh, with sports interaction. As always, if you're playing a sports interaction, 19 plus, uh, you have to be 19 above to play. Play responsibly, and there will be a link uh, to responsible gaming strategies in the description of this show. I think I mentioned during the Rangers segment, uh, Gerard Gallant got into it with like opposing players. I meant officials. I, my tongue got twisted there. I like to self-correct during these podcasts, so I just want to get that in there. You know, you know, you know, like when Jay and Dan would, when they were a thing, they'd have like the you bluets near the end, where they kind of mentioned everything they they kind of messed up. You know, I'd like to do it in the show so that way I I, I seem I still seem competent anyway. But whatever. But let's just hope the listeners got this far. Otherwise, you're still gonna have people blowing up your mentions if they just like left <laughs> for seven minutes. So. Oh my God! No, please, please don't blow up any of our mentions. Please, please leave our twitters alone. Anyway. Uh, it's time for us to talk about uh, the Edmonton Oilers Colorado Avalanche Western Conference final, the battle of number one overall picks between uh, uh, Nathan McKinnon and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, because uh, those are the two number one overall picks we're going to look at this series, right? There's no other player at Edmonton that they have that's, that's worth watching or marketing around. Nope. No, sir. Nope. I thought nope. you were going to build number two Leon Dreisaitl versus number three Gabriel Landeskog. Ooh, see, that would have been really good. That actually would have been a very good idea, and I wish I would have taken that idea. Oh, okay, we're, we're kidding. McDavid McKinnon. This is the series we wanted. Uh, well, we kind of thought the Calgary Flames might have been in this position here, but uh, aren't you glad that we were both wrong? Yes. Well, yes. again, I'm not cheering for teams. It's just when you no. saw how well Edmonton played against Calgary, when you saw what their top players were doing, it became apparent that that would probably offer the the better series again for a neutral observer. I wasn't rooting against the Flames though, or for the Flames or against Edmonton. No, we, we hate all of your favorite teams equally. Hate them all, all of them. But uh, yeah, now that yes. like, of course, like you seeing the way that second round unfolded, uh, this this became a pretty juicy possibility in the last you know five or six days, and I'm, I'm not really surprised to see it come to fruition. Although, look, it takes two JT Comfer goals and that Darren Helm goal late. You know, for Colorado to, to, to push St. Louis into the summer, uh, it's not always the players you expect to do it. And, and, you know, I do think on some level, it's probably not every game going to be won by a McDavid game-winning goal or, or a McKinnon game-winning goal or a McCarr game-winning goal. But there's, there's, there's so many star players in the series. I think that's, that, that, that's tantalizing in and of itself, even if it isn't the, the two top dogs on each side. Uh, although you could – I think there's actually an argument McCarr is Colorado's best player already. But, I mean, it's – it's nice to be able to have that argument when it comes to McKinnon and McCarr being on the same team. Uh, that that's a sign of why they've got a chance to win a Stanley Cup. Um, but yeah, this is this is going to be good. I like to see the league marketing it as such a little bit, and I think it's it's this is this is going to be a fun one for for the league. The marketing aspect of this is what I want to focus on for myself the most. Look, the the analysis on ice. Look. We could always get into that, but I want to see how the National Hockey League 
markets this series between two of the best players, two of the top three players in the National Hockey League right now. Like I have McDavid, then Matthews, then McKinnon, all M's. But like those two players in a series against each other, never been in a situation where they've never been in a conference final in the National Hockey League and they get to play against each other. Right. One of them's going to get to play in the Stanley Cup final. Um, and, you know, for McKinnon, it's been a long time coming uh, in a lot of ways. Like he, he had some down years there. Uh, and, you know, I think the same can be said for McDavid. Uh, it's not that their individual performances were down. It's more that the team wasn't in a position to win. And now they, they both have pretty shiny ring in front of them that they're reaching out and trying to grab. And I think that, that you know, hockey is a team game, but that, that propels the sort of if we want to play up two players in the matchup, you know, that, that's pretty strong. I mean, both these guys just, they, they, they already know, they don't know about next year yet, or, you know, who knows where the teams will be at. Both teams have cap related challenges as a lot of the top teams in the league do, but it just, it just means that, you know, they might not have as good a squad around them next season for a whole variety of reasons. And, and so this is a time, no better time than the present to, to try to win four out of seven and, and uh, get, uh, get for a chance to play Lord for Lord Stanley. Oh man. I I, I, I I can imagine, you know, we don't know as of now who the Eastern Conference final is going to end up being, whether it's Tampa versus Carolina or Tampa versus New York. Regardless, if you have to pick one of these two series to cover, you're flying to Edmonton or Colorado for these games. Am I wrong? Yeah. You're on a flight to Denver today because game one's tomorrow night uh, in Denver on Tuesday night. Crazy. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I'm there. I would be in the press box. Like, I'd be there at the media availabilities getting to talk to all the guys from the abs, all the guys from the Oilers. The thing with it is that, you know, it's kind of easy to fall into that trap and say that, okay, the avalanche are fully deep and it's just them going against Connor McDavid, but Connor Leon Dreisaitl stepped up in the postseason this year. We know with Evander Kane and the goals he scored as well. Uh, Zach Hyman's even stepped up big as well. Mike Smith has somehow managed to get himself to the third round just when we thought he wouldn't be able to do it well against Jonathan Quick. And he was supposed to be the worst goal against Jacob Markstrom. That did not end up being the case. The Edmonton Oilers have looked good in this postseason, and they've played the Colorado Avalanche well. I think we've mentioned that on a previous podcast uh, during the regular season. So this could be a close series. Well, there's an NHL goalie coach that I talk to from time to time, and he says you can't stat your way to a cup final. And like his, his point is really that, you know, sometimes you got to let in three, but just not let in the fourth, and that's good enough to get a win. And, and, yeah, I think Mike Smith is a good example of this. I mean, although he is statting his way there in some ways, he, you know, his save percentage is pretty good, but he was great down the stretch and didn't play a lot this year. And, you know, you're, I don't want to say you're trying to catch magic in a bottle, but that's sort of what it is. I mean, so many teams have great players, but you want those players to be healthy and performing at the right time. And that's, I think that's what you've, you've got with Edmonton uh, in particular. And, and, you know, they, they've earned their way here. Like they, they did outplay Calgary. I think we're pretty unanimous on that. That wasn't even as much as we could dwell on the, the Blake Goldman goal that was called back in, in game five. Like, um, you know, we could dig in on that and, and critique the decision. I still think the better team by a fairly wide margin won that series, just in terms of the way those five games played out. And so, you know, you don't need to, you do need to peak for the right time of year. And I, I don't think that's necessarily an easy thing to do, but that's, that's what Edmonton's got going on, man, right now. I, like, they they sort of feel like a team of destiny to me. I don't know why. They just – that's the, there's no science behind that. It just – that's how they look. Because 
as you mentioned, yeah, it's the top guys going bananas and Dreisaitl having the most points ever in a five-game series and McDavid doing what he's doing. But then you've also got Evander Kane scoring a goal a game. And, you know, Zach Hyman has scored tons of goals, way more than you'd ever expect uh, for, for someone of, of Hyman's stripe. And, and that's, that's, I think that's kind of what it takes. And I think back to those Kings Cup victories, like you, you had Kopitar was a beast, but then you, you had Marion Gabrick, like he had 14 goals, I think, one playoffs. Like that's – Yeah, he that's, went off. That's sort of what it, it 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 takes to play long enough, right? And and you need a big Darren Helm goal too. Like you need sometimes the unsung player to step up and deliver you a moment as, as we saw Colorado get. And then, you know, sometimes the best goalie in the league wins the cup. We've seen Andre Vasilevsky win the last two. But other times, like Antti Niemi is the is the cup winner, and, and you know I was thinking of it the other day. He had a he had a long NHL career, but like most seasons, if you looked at it, he would not have been considered even in the top half of starters in the league. But you know he he had a a good enough team in front of him and a good enough run to to win. So um, I think it's kind of what can be frustrating for some people, and certainly for individual fan bases whose teams don't get over the top. I can see the frustration that, but it's also what makes it fun. There's like there's not like a perfect you need this and this and this and this like it's it's not that simple i think that lots of teams have won cups in different manners um generally this year has been so weird with the goal scoring but generally you just need to somehow to squeeze out a few goals it's kind of been different this season like you get up two nothing or three one in one of these games it is not in the bag so that, that's been that's been welcome and i i agree with what you know david bastel was saying in our sports interactive segment here like I just see the Avalanche and the Oilers playing a series with a whole bunch of goal scoring. It just feels like this is going to be a, a sugar high kind of series. You mentioned Antti Niemi. Do you remember the opposing goalie when you went up against in that Cup final with Chicago and Philadelphia? Chicago was it Michael Layton and did, I think did Brian Boucher play some of those games. He might have gotten one, I think. I but I know Michael Layton for sure was was on that team. I don't remember if Brian Boucher was on that Flyers team in 2010. I don't remember. Um, Blake Coleman also keeping with the theme, also from the 2011 draft. Just mentioning a whole bunch of guys there. Let's get into that goal, but well, the non-goal, by the way, because uh, this would this is our first time getting to react to it. I initially thought that the referees had it right because from the video angle inside the net, you see Blake Coleman's foot kind of lunge forward. And in my eyes, I kind of thought, okay, that's a kicking motion. But on all these other angles, you're not necessarily seeing that that motion. And Cody Cece is like pushing Blake Coleman as well. Like a lot of people are making the point that Blake Coleman is, is trying to stop as he's trying to hit the puck. I'm not sure if that was clear, but I think the fact that Cody Cece is like pushing him in, like, that should count for something. So now I'm I'm kind of on the side that says that maybe the Flames got hosed, but I also don't necessarily know if they deserve to win that game either. Well, my main takeaway is that this probably needs to be discussed and looked at in general. I mean, if we just step back from the circumstances of this specific goal uh, for a moment, and, and I'll go back to, we'll get back there. But I, I think that, look, you want to have goals in hockey, right? And the main reason, as far as I can tell, there's a kicking rule at all is you don't want players around the crease kicking their skate blades at pucks where there's, you know, skin exposed, whether it's from a goaltender or someone in the, you know, in the scrum where that could become a dangerous situation. I think it's largely a safety issue, actually. But, you know, in the case where a player's skate really doesn't come off the ice to, to actually have a kick, which in this case, I think is 
is there, I, I don't know why that wouldn't count. Now, it's not necessarily to say they got it wrong. I just think that it's worth maybe revisiting the wording of that or, or the interpretation of how you want that rule to be called. Because I don't mind goals that go in off skate blades counting. Again, I just think for the safety of goaltenders and everyone around the crease, you don't want guys actually doing very distinct kicking, like exaggerated kicking motions, which you could have, right? If their bodies are tied up in some way and they could be off balance, that's another thing. If you're off balance and you're kicking, you know, who knows if you fall back, with, you know, where your skate goes. Um, so I, I'm with you. Like I wanted that. I thought that goal should have counted, but I'm also going to acknowledge, like, I don't have, I'm not watching as many games as, as those in the Toronto war room. Like I'm not saying they necessarily screwed this up. It's just, I think that there's a, there's gotta be now some clarification on what that rule should be, you know, what they can do. And, and, you know, the GMs meet during the Stanley cup final. So you know, I think that we'll probably have that discussion from the people that, that steward the game. I think what's great, I'm just glad this didn't happen in overtime of game seven of the cup final or something like that. Um, because I do think big picture, the Flames might've got hosed on the call, but, you know, really Edmonton deserved to win the series. And so I, I don't, and I even heard that from a lot of Calgary players, Michael Backlund, Daryl Sutter, they like I didn't, I didn't hear a lot of excuse making on that one from them. I think they were confused with the interpretation of the rule, but I, I didn't get the sense that they felt that it, it, it didn't determine a series. Right. It's not like, I don't know if you watched the, the Canada Finland final at the world hockey. Yeah, tournament. Tough way for like, them to go out. Just, you know, the referees botched some calls in that game and that, you know, in a one game elimination, I think you could argue that that doomed Canada in that game. And it was the officials had an undue, um, impact on it. I don't know that that's the case here. I just, I do think that it'd be nice if there was some clarification. And I think really, if you just make it the rule, if the guy doesn't lift his skate off the ice to direct it in, I, I think it should count. And, and that's what this one was. I mean, I, his skate is a little bit off the ice, but he's clearly stopping to me. Like, I think he's trying not to get driven into the post. Um, also, the puck was going in. I don't know if that matters. It, it, it kind of matters to me. Like, I, spiritually, it's just like, that was a goal. Uh, but it wasn't a goal, and here we are. Yeah, we have Edmonton, Colorado, and not a game seven in that series. But I just wanted to I, look at we yeah. could have had a game six on Saturday night. That would have been pretty good. I, I I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't have necessarily complained. I wouldn't have necessarily complained. I did say last Thursday that it was going at that rate it was going. I would have liked it to have ended in five, but we wouldn't have complained if it got to six or seven. Absolutely not. But the it ended up going the way that it did, and. To your point, Producer with, Nick probably appreciated getting a Saturday night off instead of having to do okay, a live yeah. stream on Saturday night. So, at the very least, to your point about needing the rule to be clarified, I don't have a lot of faith in how certain rules are governed and officiated. And that's why I put out that tweet on Twitter over the weekend saying, Well, why don't we just do away with goals being kicked in at all and remove any? any kind of gray area or interpretation or anything like that, because we've seen it with other rules like goalie interference, where if there's some sort of interpretation that has to be held, it is just too all over the place. I find. So I think if you, it's also, it's not necessarily something I want, because I love the idea of goals going in off feet and heads and stuff like that, like weird goals like that. But I just think for the sake of, of, of removing confusion and making it a little easier for the refs, I, I, if, if the GMs came together and said, you know what, we're doing away with goals coming off of feet entirely, you save yourself a hassle. But the price of removing that confusion is you're removing goals. And let's face it, fans like goals. Like goals are fun. 
Uh, I'm not on team like, hey, one nothing game is a great game. Like, there's probably has been a few Fair. great one nothing games, but like, it's way more fun if your team's down three one and they find a way to come back and win the game. Like, that's 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 fun. That's and that's what the playoffs. We've seen that a fair bit. I know there's been some blowouts too in the playoffs, but I I, I think these have been a fun playoffs because it, it, you can't just bottle up a lead these days. And so, but you're not wrong. It's just I I, I do think fundamentally this is a sport that wants to encourage scoring wherever it can. And where do you draw the line? Like if someone's standing there and literally doesn't see the shot come in and it hits a skate and goes in, like, would you not count that? Like where it's like, clearly he's not even redirecting it. It's just, he's just standing there and it hits him. Like I, you know, which happens from time to time. Uh, it happened actually one of the Leafs goals in, in the game they came back against Tampa. It went off like John Tavares' skate blade. And like, I'm not even sure he could have meant it. Um, so yeah, we're in a tough spot. It's a gray sport, right? Like we want, we want black and white. We want everything to be clear. We want everything to like be neat and tidy. But the truth is, is it's just hockey is like a holy shit kind of sport sometimes. Like that just happened. <laughs> like all the games you watch, like you see things you've never seen before. Like that's that's what I find amazing. Like it, you could watch thousands of games and still see a play or or something around the net like this that like you haven't quite seen it before. And I think it makes it tough to govern especially when you're like, really, I'm almost, if, if there wasn't the safety issue, I would be like, any way you can get the puck in the net, I'm, I'm down for. I, I'd almost like go the other way. I'd be like, you can throw that puck in the net, do it. But I recognize we're not going to go that far. But it, I just think more goals are better no matter how they're scored. But I also don't want anyone getting cut by skate blades either. So yeah, we, we, we can't have that. We, we forget about the fact that there are NHL players who skate every game with with knives on like sharp objects on the bottom of their skates. Like, yeah. It, it's and if dangerous. you ever get reminded, you never forget it again. Like I was watching the game, Ilya Mikheyev got sliced his, his tendons and his wrist in, in New Jersey, but just like the look on his face, the trail of blood, you know, he, it was a significant injury for him, but like just the, it's scary, right? Like that's, we don't ever want to see someone die playing the sport. And, and that's it's, no. it's the way it could happen. Right. I mean, I, not to be, Let's not, let's just move on quickly. But you know, that, that there is a scary aspect to that fact. And that's why you really can't have people kicking the skate blades around because it might catch somewhere it's not supposed to catch. So now with the flames out of playoffs, the off season for them looks really interesting. And I know with when the off season comes, we'll talk more about where Johnny Goudreau could go. But just in seeing the comments after that series ends. And talking about, you know, oh, you know, my neighbors, it's as if they did everything to try to keep me here by shoveling my driveway and all that. Like, I got a sense of a man who really is going to weigh his options this offseason. And maybe if he might want to come back to Calgary, I mean, he's not coming back on the cheap. He's definitely not coming back on the cheap. I mean, his next contract, I think, probably starts with a one and then has a zero after it, probably in the mm. 10 million range. Uh Maybe he's feeling generous and he keeps it in the nines, but let's face it, somewhere between nine and 11 makes sense based on hit 115 points this year, uh, based on, you know, the other players that he's keeping company with are all in that range. Um, you know, I, I saw a man that was conflicted in, in his, in the, that sort of end of season interviews. Cause he's, he's talking about, you know, how much he's loved being a flame. It's been more than a decade. He's, he's spent in that organization you know, really does have a chance to go down as one of their all-time franchise legends if he does sign another contract there and play there through the rest of his, his the media years of his career. 
Um, but it's also a once in a lifetime opportunity to hit the open market, to see what else is out there, to consider other options. And he, he sort of spoke in the hypothetical, like, well, if I leave, I hope people respect how much I loved it here. So, you know, I don't think this is baked in, you know, one way or another. And it's really all on, it's, it's, it's Johnny Gaudreau's decision and his family's decision. Um, you know, the Flames, I think, will do everything necessary to keep him. I, I don't think that contract itself will be the issue. It's really, does, does he decide if he wants to continue his career in Calgary or see if there's greener pressure somewhere else? And, and let's face it, the history suggests if a player of his caliber gets this close to free agency, plays out the whole last season of that contract, he tends to go and, and hit the open market. You know, one of the few times it didn't happen was Steven Stamkos, but he even got to the point where he was meeting other teams and then, you know, signed back in Tampa Bay. But whether it was like John Tavares or you just look over the years, usually when guys get this far, you know, they're through the, the hard part. The hard part is playing out your contract is that if you get injured in your final season, you know, there's no guaranteed deals. Like if Johnny Gaudreau blew out his knee this year, it might impact his future earning potential somewhere else but you know instead he went and had a monster season the best season of his career in goals and points delivered a big moment a game seven overtime winning goal uh, for calgary in round one you know he did he took on some risk there and usually if you've assumed that risk as a player you're going to want to go test the market um it's not to make a prediction in this case it's too soon to say with certainty because I, I do think a part of him wants to stay but a part of him probably has to wonder what else is out there for him and, and so that's really what he'll be working through in these next you know few days, you know, as he gets to work with his agent, Lewis Gross, and we'll have to see where he finds out. Because as I say, if, it's one phone call. If he wants to stay in Calgary, he or his agent picks up the phone and calls Brad Tree Living and, and they'll, they'll get that deal done. But, you know, first, first and foremost, he has to decide that. If you're Brad Tree Living, are you focused on Johnny Gaudreau more or are you focused on Matthew Kachuk? Well, both, you know, because I know that that will sound like it's an on-the-fence answer, but I think you're trying to keep them both. Ideally, the Flames want to keep them both. Like, I think I think they want to do everything they can to keep the band together. I know they, these are big decisions, but, you know, if you go over to, to Puckpedia or Cap Friendly, I mean, they've, they've got cap room to, to sign some big deals. Um, and so I, I think there's a world they could keep both. It might require further trades down, down the roster, but, you know, I would believe they'd be willing to do that. You know, the thing with Matthew Kachuk is he's younger. He's 24 years old. He's one year from unrestricted free agency. And so I think it's absolutely imperative uh, from the Flames end that they're signing him to a multi-year contract. I mean, preferably an eight-year contract, uh, you know, which is the maximum allowable at this point. You'd be buying all of Matthew Kachuk's best years if you did that. But even if it ends up being less than eight years, I think it's got to be a multi-year deal because you don't want to go into a situation with him where it hangs over next season. You know, he could sign a one-year deal, but then what are we going to be talking about when, the, you know, no matter how next year goes, is, is he now gone? So um, I think from an organizational standpoint, you're attacking them both. You're, you're getting to work already, uh, having those conversations with, with the agents and trying to convince, um, you know, find the right number and find the right fit. The beauty is, you know, Matthew Kachuk came out and said he wants to absolutely stay there long term. And, and I believe him. Again, he's going to cost a lot of money, too. He had over 100 point season uh, and he is in the prime of his career. But that's money well spent. It's hard to get those players if you let them walk out the door. And so, yeah, I think, I think it's, I think it's a dual pronged approach and you make clear to both of them that there's room for both to get what they want and, and to be happy and, and have long successful careers together in Calgary. Yeah. You keep those two, you keep that window, that contention window open. Even if this, even if the season ended 
uh, on a very disappointing note for them. There's a lot of good with the Calgary Flames, especially up front for that team. You have to find a way to keep both of those guys. And I don't know what you do with Sean Monaghan and, and Milan Lucic's contracts, but you have to find a way to clear some space to ensure that you're able to pay them both adequately and you're able to kind of put some good players around them so they can still be competitive. They could still be a good team if they keep both of those players. Well, look, Sean Monaghan's contract has one year left on it. So even if you're not moving it or buying it out or whatever this summer, and look, he's gone through a really tough run of injuries here lately, ended his season prematurely this year, um, you know, which has affected his productivity, but he's still off the books next year. And so my point is if you're signing both Goodrow and Kachuk long-term now, I mean, that's, that's already a bonus that's built in is the fact that you are losing some of your other heavier contracts. I think it does open a window for you to be making other moves in future seasons, even with those guys. And yeah, like they could get in a situation that looks a little bit like what the Maple Leafs have with, you know, a couple really high paid forwards and, and it's going to impact other roster decisions, but that's, I mean, that's what it takes with great players. I mean, there's lots of teams around the league that are managing difficult cap situations because they got superstars earning what they've earned. And, and, you know, I, I, I believe from the flames end, this is not, this is literally just convincing the, the, in the case of Goodrow, it's in particular, it's just convincing the player that he's best to stay, that he's going to have a chance to win a cup that, that, the organization's all in on doing everything they can to put the best team around them and they're going to reward them now. And, and um, you know, I, I still think that could happen. I know I don't believe that the decision's made. I'm not convinced, you know, there's always been these rumors, Johnny Goodrow, you know, being an American from the East coast wants to play in those cities. Like I'm sure there's that pull, like anyone, if you can pick your spot, you know, the idea of playing closer to home and your family is nice, but you know, he's also put a lot of work in trying to win a Stanley cup there. And, and if he believes that that is still open to him. I still think there's a world he signs in Calgary. Okay. And a lot of questions to be asked uh, with the Calgary Flames this offseason. Before we get to Ask CJ, the segment we do on Mondays where we take your questions all around the world of social media, we got to shout out Jason Spezza, an NHL uh, great player in Jason Spezza, no longer playing, uh, has now decided to become the Dwight Schrute of the Toronto Maple Leafs front office. Uh, the position of special assistant to uh, the GM. That is the job title for Jason Spezza. Yeah. With the Leafs. And it's, I mean, I actually want to look backwards before I go forwards with Jason Spezza. Of, of course. Like I learned more about him. It's basically my career almost mirrored his in terms of when we started being around the league. So kind of had a front row seat to, to see him as a superstar when he was a young player covered him at a few world hockey championships. And then he's more recently been in Toronto at the end. Like I'm more impressed by his last three seasons than his best three seasons. If that makes sense. I just think it, it, it takes a really special person or attitude mindset to be willing to one day be a star, you know, who made all kinds of money. So his family was set up and to still stick with it and do everything it takes to, to be a pro athlete late in his career, playing a limited role, having the, you know, again, the right mindset, not, you know, making it about himself, prioritizing his teammates, understanding he's going to be scratched for games and not having it dissuade him. I mean, I, I, I couldn't be more impressed by him, honestly, the last few seasons. Like I remember talking to him, he's famously was scratched for his first ever home opener after coming, signing in Toronto, signed for league minimum, you know, obviously was a player that's much discussed in that training camp coming home to try to win a cup and Mike Babcock scratches him for the home opener. And it, it was not the next day that I was speaking to him about this, but it was within recent memory of it and was asking him about that. And he's just like, look, there's no player is bigger than the game. The game has been so good to me. This is what it's given me right now. Like I'm just 
like honored still to be playing. Like just, I think like really a classy guy. And I really believe it, it wasn't just platitudes, all the things you might heard his teammates say in terms of what he meant to them. I, you know, he, he was very much a we before me type of player at the end of his career. And I, I just think that that, you know, is, is worthy of a, a cap tip. And, you know, he really stretched his career because of that. He did get to play at home. He got to be close to family, spend more time with his parents, have his, you know, his daughters be in, in the family environment more. And, and, you know, I think unless it's changed, he intends to live his life now in Toronto. So, you know, it, it, there was mutual benefits to be found in that arrangement, but I have no doubt because of how much he loves the sport and how smart a guy is and, and just sort of how emotionally intelligent he is that, that he's going to make a great executive in the NHL one day. And so uh, cap tip to the career, Jason, thank you for, was really one of the classy guys to deal with too, from a media standpoint. So a little bit of selfishness there, but, but, you know, want to acknowledge that and, and say how much I appreciate it. I know my colleagues did too. And also say, now go give them hell in, in this next phase, because I'm not sure what form that'll take. You know, it, it begins the way it does for a lot of guys, whether it's Steve Eiserman or Joe Sackick, or, you know, you look around the league, a number of players kind of go into this mentorship role because there's a lot that happens in an organization. They don't even get to see even in playing as long as Jason did. And then, you know, let's see where he takes it next. Shout out to you saying cap tip because uh, it's not Thursday, so it's not stick tap day yet. You gotta gotta take keep in mind keep in mind of these trademarks. You know what I'm saying? Like a Derek Jeter, you know, like a little classy like Derek Jeter, number two, Derek Jeter. All shout right, it's time for us. Oh, what were you gonna say? Sorry, to say shout out Jason Spezza. That's all I'm saying. Shout out Jason Spezza. I gotta make sure I don't cut you off. Anyway, uh, it's time for Ask CJ. Uh, got a lot of questions from Discord today. By the way, if you want to join the SDPN Discord, uh, we have the link in the uh, the SD on the SDPN website, SDPN.ca. You can find the link to join the Discord. It's a hell of a time. They've Let's got to be Discord one- questions because I was asleep at the switch Sunday. I went down to <laughs> and I didn't even put a tweet out asking for questions. So that's that's a bogey for me. But uh, was down in in the land of the Coburg Cougars and Justin Williams and Steve Smith and just enjoying some family time there. Okay. You look like you had yourself a good weekend. I think we both had ourselves some good weekends. Anyway, uh, that's, that's, that's for the, that's for the podcast where we start getting into story times that have nothing to do, nothing to do with hockey. Um, Red shark pack. Would you ever do a triathlon? Uh, probably not. Like I, it doesn't even, remotely tempt me but the reason i would say never say never entirely is that if there was a compelling reason maybe if there was a charitable aspect or someone that wanted me to do it with them i I could maybe be talked into it but here's the here's the rub i am a lousy swimmer like i'm 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 Hmm. i'm fine to swim comfortably and not be at danger but i'm not a efficient swimmer in open water like it, it the idea of swimming any real distance in choppy water with other people around me, like in a triathlon, like that, that's like nightmare fuel. Um, you know, I, I haven't spent that much time on a road bike, but I could do that part. And I know I could do the running part, but the, the swimming scares me also just, I full respect to everyone. I know my buddy, Sean McKenzie did the, the I'm not sure what you call it, but basically like the half size triathlon last summer, I think he's going to do a full one now. Like you got to spend a lot of time on a bike or at a pool or on the roads to just even get your body ready for that. So respect for anyone who does it, but it's never really tempted me. And, and unless you can present me with a good reason to do it, I'm probably just going to stick to my running. 
Okay. Let's get to one from Bradley 13. Would there be a chance that the Leafs would look at John Gibson, the Anaheim Ducks goaltender? I think there's definitely a chance. You know, there's been some low-key rumors about that. And you know, I think that there's there's probably one of these cases of where there's some smoke, there's fire. It's it's not to say it's going to happen or anything that declarative, but you know, I think the Leafs have to look pretty critically at that position. And it, for me, it's really the biggest set of decisions they face this summer, and they're all interlocked together because you, you've got two goaltenders in the NHL, and then you ideally want a third option that you could go to in the case of injuries or things that, that you know, pop up along the way. And I can see a scenario where Jack Campbell isn't back, um, you know, because he's a pending free agent and, and, you know, his contract demands may not line up with what they want to pay him. Peter Morazic's situation really didn't work out for the Leafs. So I could see them moving on from him. And so if you're looking to potentially fill two spots on a team with a chance, you know, with the team you want to have a chance to win a Stanley cup, you're going to need a good goaltender and, and the trade route might be the best way to do so. And, you know, John Gibson, you just wonder all these years in Anaheim with them kind of going through a rebuild. We, you know, we saw them unload Josh Manson and, and you know, Ricard Raquel, Hampus Lindholm at the deadline, new general manager there. You know, John Gibson's actually much younger than you think. So I'm not saying they have to get rid of him. Like, I think his window to be an effective goaltender is probably overlaps with what Anaheim plans on, on you know, getting back to being a, a top contender. But I, I could see the fit there. Let's put it that way. Uh, this next one from JC Beast. What should Florida do with with uh, Sergey Bobrovsky's contract next year? I don't know what they can do, really. I mean, it's that's a it's a big pill, uh, and there's just enough time left on. I mean, certainly you're not buying that out. I think it'd be difficult to trade him. Maybe if you retain fifty percent, you're trading him as a five million dollar goalie instead of a ten million dollar goalie. Um, but the truth of the matter is, I think they're just going to have to ride it out a little bit longer and hope that, you know, that, that it's, it's not a bad thing for them. I mean, I think Sergei Bobrovsky, all things considered, had a pretty good year too. It's just, it's hard to win with a goalie making 10 million bucks. Uh, it's not impossible, but it's, it's very, very difficult. You know, a lot of the top goalies in the league are earning five or 6 million and, and Bobrovsky was a free agent. He had leverage. Um, you know, he, he earned the contract by virtue of the fact they offered it to him, but it, it makes it creates challenges elsewhere in the lineup. Um, but I, I don't see, I don't really see an easy solution for them there other than just hoping that, that he can be back to Vesna trophy form that he's had in the past and, and that he stays healthy and, and, you know, can contribute to them because, you know, everyone's waiting for Spencer Knight to come forward. Well, you know, it didn't go as smoothly as, as you might expect. It, it tends to take goalies a couple of years. And so I don't think this is the decision they have to face this summer. It's probably more, next summer or the year after if Spencer Knight eventually succeeds him and, and takes the number one job. And then you've got a backup making that much money. Well, then, then we'll have a different conversation. From Addy R8705, I'm coming to Toronto for the first time. Is there some activity that I should do, place I should visit, food I should eat outside of the basic tourist destinations? Cool. That's a, that's a difficult question. I mean, I think the greatest thing for me about Toronto is there's so much to do. If you're coming in the summertime, like one underrated thing I think is to go to Center Island. Uh, you know, it's it's a quick trip on the boat. It gives you beautiful shots of Toronto, both leaving to go to the island and coming back. If you want to get some killer Instagram shots, you can take over a picnic or some of your favorite beverages and just sit out and like kind of have a picnic. And you're so close to downtown, but like you feel like you're in the country, except you're looking over these buildings. That, that's 
always been one of my low key favorite, like lazy summer day kind of activities. Um, you know, there's a long, basically path along the waterfront. You, you know, if you have bikes, I'd recommend a nice bike ride along there. That, that's something kind of fun to do. You know, food, it's, it's a city, like, wh what do you like? If you want, you know, they've got a great Chinatown. If you want sort of Chinese food, like the, there's like all these ethnic parts of the city, you know, College Street has great Italian restaurants. Um, you really can't go wrong. Like, like I, I can't say you have to go to this one restaurant. I think there's, you, you could never get bored of eating here if, if you're a real foodie. And it's just a great place to be. So I, I encourage you to visit if you're a hockey fan. The one obvious thing to do is the Hockey Hall of Fame. The one less obvious thing to do, especially if you're a Maple Leafs fan, is there's a grocery store under the old Maple Leaf Gardens, uh, a Loblaw store on Carlton Street. And they actually have the center ice dot marked where it was at the original place. So that, that could be like a low key. I'm not saying like go make a huge pilgrimage of it, but it's kind of cool to see that they've, they've marked that. You know, there's, there's tons to do here. And um, yeah, also go to a Jays game. That, that's uh, that's an underrated thing, and they've been winning lately, and that's that's got me a little bit happier than than when they were skidding along in May. Yeah, I'm doing the Jays thing in August. By the way, I'm going to a Jays game this year. I'm excited. I went one last year, had the time of my life. Got up on the jumbotron, going again this year because I got to watch some baseball at least once a year in person. Uh, I thought you were going to say sneaky D's as well. <laughs> Well, I mean, Sneaky D's is a legendary place, but I'd say only go there to eat if you're hungry at like 1 a.m. I mean, if, if you're if you're making a 6 p.m. dinner choice, there's, there's a few other more culinary decisions that I think I'd, I'd take ahead of Sneaky D's. OK, uh, let's get let's take one more from K-Town 2272 for CJ. Which international assignment is your favorite? Is there a specific thing in that city you look forward to if you were to go again? Nothing beats the Olympics. Like if you get to the Olympics selling popcorn, you feel like you made it. If you get there, even the two Olympic games I covered were in Vancouver and Sochi 2010 and 2014. Like nothing. I, I just don't think that anything can eclipse that. It's, 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 it's a life experience in addition to just, you know, one of the greatest positions you get to professionally, you know, in, in the two cases I went, I was covering primarily uh, the men's hockey tournament. It was NHL. It was best on best. It was just fantastic theater and, and stories and, and it's, you know, just awesome. Like I still, if, if my career ended tomorrow, like that, those would be the two things I'd feel most proud of, I think is, is covering those, you know, that being said, I, I also covered seven men's world hockey championships. You know, we just saw the one wrap up in Finland and, and I know that tournament doesn't get a ton of play back here in North America. I talked about this a little bit the last episode, but it's, it's a great life experience as well. And, and, I got, it took me to cool cities. The first one I went to was in Riga, Latvia was literally at that time I was really, you know, I was young and it was almost a life-changing experience how great it was. Uh, 2007, I spent a month in Moscow. Just awesome. Like so cool to, to be in a hockey country. I recognize there's challenges in that part of the world now. Maybe it wouldn't be the same experience now, but that was neat. 2009, I was in Bern and basically Zurich, Switzerland. Um, you know, really like that was different but in a good way like i was staying i was in a, a little town outside of Zurich called cloton and and it was really small but like in the in the woods almost like i just remember going on like i was still running back then my first stint of running or serious running and just like running in the woods every day and then going to cover this tournament we met all these volunteers that that would like take us out after the games and we'd go for dinner or drinks or something like just cool experience 
2011. Uh, where was 2011? This it's a good memory to use your brain like this sometimes. 2010 was in Germany. Uh, I was in Mannheim and then Cologne. That was cool. And in 2011 was Slovakia, uh, which like I never like why would I ever get to Slovakia, right? And in 2012 Helsinki. So all those places were great. You know, I'm thinking of going back to Europe this summer on a trip. I'll probably go to Helsinki. I've got some friends there. And, and that one stands out as a great memory too. Um, just spending a month in like these places and being around hockey. So you can't really go wrong. I love travel. I love international travel. It's always sort of appealed to me. So I've, I've, I've long said when I get to the later stages, when I'm truly on like the back three or four holes of my career, I, I'm going to go back and cover world hockey championships, like just find a way really for the experience to be around it. And then if I can ever cover another Olympics, best on best with the NHL, I'll cherish that because you know that, that opportunity has been taken away the last the last two go rounds of the Olympic cycle. Hopefully, twenty twenty six in Milan, Italy. I'll I'll be there. And and if I, if I do that, I'm telling you, after it will have been twelve years since my previous Olympic assignment. I'll I'll uh, be sure to to cherish that one. Yeah, all these callbacks also to two thousand and eleven. That we talked about the 20, 2011 NHL draft, the twenty eleven World Championship. Which, by the way. Finland won that year and Finland getting the job done at this year's tournament in their home country as well. So uh, shout out to Finland doing Finland the dance. Finland is truly, I mean, I know we have some Finnish listeners, so they'll almost laugh that I have to make this point, but I'm not sure people in North America realize it gets to me of the places I've been, it's the place most like Canada in terms of the way hockey is appreciated or celebrated or loved. Like it's clearly their number one sport when you're there. And it's not to say that there aren't lots of Swedes that love hockey or Russians. Um, but I just feel like, that's the country that really goes hockey mad. And it was cool to see them win uh, on home ice. I mean, that's, that's great. They won a world juniors on home ice, Casper captain in overtime. Now they've won a men's worlds. I mean, that, that country's come leaps and bounds. I mean, they're, they're, they're a hockey powerhouse now at, at the men's level. And that, that hasn't always been the case. There used to be sort of an underdog that were punching above their weight. Well, now they're, now they're playing with the big boys. It seems like they win every major international tournament there is. And, um, you know, I think it's great again, because it's, it's a place where hockey's truly appreciated. An early uh, stick tap candidate could be Valtteri Filpola, who became the first Finn to join the triple gold club with the world championship win over the weekend. Yeah. And he gets the Olympics and, and the men's worlds in the same year after winning the Stanley cup in 2008. So yeah, that, what a, what, what a cap to his career. I mean, the triple gold club, that's, that's special. That's hard. That's hard to do. And, um, we're going to see more Finns do it now, though, because there's all these guys that, that are two thirds of the way. They, they just got to find a way to win a Stanley Cup now. That's very true. I, I got to look through the roster and see how many of those, those guys can actually do it now, because that's that's actually pretty well that Finland could now have a bunch of guys joining the Triple Gold Club. That is insane. Well, it'll be and limited, that, right, oh, because it wasn't an NHL best on best Olympics. So you know, it was. But there's there's still going to be a few players that have a chance to do it, I think, from this sort of group of, of Finnish you know, this is like finished golden genera- generation right now. So. Exactly. And with that, that's going to do it for the CJ show on this here Monday. Enjoying ga- enjoy game seven between the uh, the Hurricanes and the Rangers later today. Uh, and enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back on Thursday with a brand new episode. Also be sure to check out the Steve Dangle podcast. I hear they do some fun stuff there. I wonder, I hope Adam Wilde's voice is okay because it didn't sound too great. He did his last podcast last week, but they had kids stable after that. But uh, hopefully Adam, uh, Adam's voice is a little bit better for the next episode. Hopefully.
hopefully. And Haiva Suomi. Yes. Yes. Congrats on the gold. Congrats on the gold at the World Championship uh, to Team Finland. For CJ, I'm Julian saying so long and peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.